Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Hey church, how are you doing? We're all in a bit of a COVID slump right now. I'm Karen Stiller, and in this podcast, I spoke with Tim Day, director of Waybase Network, which is an online platform that enables individuals and Christian organizations to connect and partner together and serves the church in Canada. I also spoke with Rick Heemstra, director of research for the EFC. Waybase did some research on the impact of COVID-19 on Canadian Christian charities, which of course includes the church, which you can find at notes.waybase.com backslash surveys, or just Google it like I did. We chat about some of the results in this conversation, but we really have a from the heart conversation about church and COVID and the simple ways we can all stay connected right now. Tim, so what are we talking about when we talk about churches and ministries doing well during COVID? What does doing well mean in this context? I think what it means is, and you have to put some disclaimers on this because we're in the midst of a pandemic. So it's kind of like, hey, you're in the hospital. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's all things considered. That's a very good point. (laughs) Right. So it's like, hey, we're all in a hospital here. We're all in this pandemic. We're all in these unusual things. So are we okay? Maybe. And are we doing okay? And I would say, you know, generally speaking, yes. Obviously, some people are doing very well in terms of there's a lot of energy coming towards them to respond to the needs and they're adapting. There's a whole bunch of people who have had to adapt and they're doing okay. They've made the necessary cutbacks. They're getting some government subsidies. They've switched online. They're sorting themselves out. So in that sense, you know, we're not experiencing some sort of apocalypse to Christian churches or ministries where they're all going out of business. Uh, Three quarters of them are back with open services. They've made the adaptations. A lot of them over 50% are adapting to decreased income, and some are backfilling that with some subsidy support. Until we get to year end, the financial year end, you know, there's going to be fundraising pushes here to kind of catch up and get back on their feet. There are some that are struggling in a very big way financially, but for the most, most of them, they have found a way to adapt to this time, just like other parts of Canadian society are, are figuring out how to adapt. So in that way, I would say, all those things considered, they're doing okay. They're tired. Many, many ministry leaders are very, very tired. The Zoom life is a very tiring life. It's mentally grueling. Um, they're also tired of nothing working quite right. Like nothing really works well. There's a lot of patterns that are interrupted. And, you know, in that way, you know, they want it to be over tomorrow. A lot of leaders just like, could we just go back to some semblance of normal? And, you know, you went from one last thing I'll say before Rickway's in, you know, you used to have three year plans, a lot of people. And then COVID hit and it's like, can I have a three month plan? Do I have a three week plan? Then they start talking about a three day plan. Like, who knows what's going to happen next when some outbreak happens, a change in restrictions, you know, something hits you, you don't anticipate. And so I think that uncertainty, although uh, we have a lot of strong leaders in Christian ministry, they are adaptive people. They're caring people. They're used to leading community, which is the hardest thing to lead, right, <laughs> is to lead a community. So they're they're good, but they're tired. And, you know, they they have these challenges that they're now living with. 
Yeah. Rick, um, how do you respond to that? I know at the EFC, you get pastors calling up sometimes and talking to you about different things. So what are you hearing from the community right now? Yeah. Well, I I think that when we're talking about doing well, initially what doing well meant that we were able to continue to do what we were doing. So we we were trying to uh, move our services online. So we're trying to do everything in a digital space. And I think that most uh, churches have made a transition, or as as, uh, Waybase's survey shows, uh, they've made the transition, and some of them are transitioning back to sort of in-person services. And so uh, if well means uh, an ability to replicate what you were doing, then I think that that's one measure of doing well. Uh, I think that a number of other churches are sort of using this as an opportunity to say, is this what we should be doing? Um, you know, it's very common in research about the church to talk about healthy churches. And really, that's a really difficult idea to pin down. What is What does it mean to be healthy? And I think that um, what COVID has given us is this opportunity to examine what we we're doing and to say, um, is this really what a healthy church looks like? And is there opportunity to do something different now that we're actually forced to do things differently? And um, I'll just share about, uh, you know, my own church, a uh, church of about 200, 250. They're forced online. And they've, in, as a larger church, there really isn't time in a church service to uh, do testimony time. But in their Zoom church, what they do every week is they give their kids a drawing challenge. And the drawing challenge is related to the theme of the sermon and the, and for that week. And then after the sermon, the kids hold up their uh, pictures and they talk about it and the other people are doing testimonies. And what is, what's really happening is you're taking, somehow it's shrunk the church down because testimony is something that you can accomplish in a small church. And now that's happening in a, in a larger church. And I think that that has been something that this church has done really well. And they're doing well in a different way than what they were doing before. And uh, that's part of the opportunities, I think, of being forced into a place where you have to change. Yeah, there is this uh, resiliency, I think, that we're developing. And I love that uh, creativity that you're, you're, you've hinted at, Rick. Um, I, I'm, my hope is that as we move forward, as COVID goes away someday that we will, you know, carry on this uh, ability to pivot quickly maybe and this new creativity and this deepened resiliency that we have. And like, is it possible that we will emerge out of this uh, stronger or am I just wishful thinking? What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I like the term. I've heard um, a, a, a term in a book. What was the name of it? forget the name of the book, but it was by a a social psychologist of the US, the difference between resilience and being anti-fragile. And so the idea of the anti-fragile is that you come back stronger, that in a sense, the human, the human immune system, speaking of COVID, is designed to be anti-fragile. In other words, when it's attacked, it builds up immunities, and it becomes a stronger uh, system, because of the attack. And so there's a lot of elements of human life that if we function well together, supporting each other, we can become stronger through adversity. If you think of a community that has a natural disaster, and then they all band together and they rebuild their properties together and they build friendships and forge new ways of cooperating. 
at the other side of it, they feel healthier and stronger because they have deeper friendship, deeper bonds, better working relationships. And I think this is our opportunity right now. I think it's probably good to think we will be leaner. We will, you know, we will have lost some fat. Uh, We, we, you know, uh, but we can be stronger. We don't have to be weaker. And so this is a time of, of, and, and also I think smarter, better connected, better coordinated um, and clearer on what we're, you know, like a clear, like if you think of that person who's like, you know, maybe not the healthiest version, they're busy, they're stressed, but they're not eating super well. They don't have a good pattern of life. And then something hits them, puts them in the hospital, shakes them up and they have to go through a type of rehab. They might come out of it and say, look, I lost some weight. I've learned some things. I realize I got to put my life into a better situation here. And I've had an aha moment or a number of aha moments. I think the church has that that time to reconsider, as Rick was saying, to do some deep reflection. And I'll add one more thing in. We're not the only ones in this space. There's a lot of awareness like, what? okay, what are we really about here at the core? This is hitting all different business sectors. Uh, and other types of entertainment sectors. I'll give an example. The NBA, the National Basketball Association, a lot of professional sports, as soon as COVID hit, they had to shut down their leagues and then they had to re-jumpstart. And at the center of their economy is getting people together, right? Uh, You know, their events uh, that then they broadcast. So they went through all these changes and protocols and all the rest of it to start to be able to restart their leagues. So the NBA restarted their leagues and what they found at the end of it was the viewership had dropped dramatically without a real question of like, why did it drop? Uh, why did the, why did it drop so badly? And then they started to think, well, is it because of political unrest at the time, kind of the black lives matter and the messaging kind of people got turned off and pulled away. And they looked at that. And it's like, no, that's not the case because it's uniform across all leagues. And it, and the one article I saw really helped me see this, that, Professional sports does not exist for its sport. It uses that sport to create community. So it's not in the business of basketball. It's in the business of building community for people who like basketball, if that makes sense. And so one of the challenges the church has is we have tended to put at the center of our gatherings something that we see is why we get together. We get together to hear the preaching of the word. We get together to worship God. We get together to um, maybe share the sacraments, whatever that, you know, the thing we put in the middle. But then when we're not able to gather to do that work and we just put some digital version of it online, it doesn't feel the same. And I think the aha moment is actually we build community for people who love God and want to experience and share life change. That includes preaching and worshiping and uh, the sacraments and sharing. But it's the the community experience, I think, is what really galvanizes us together. And in this aha moment, Rick, when you're talking about the sharing, the testimonies, the new ways of having to do community in this hospitalization time, whatever you want to call it, this is a chance for us to kind of wake up to realize, do you know what, just replicating a particular element of what we're doing is not enough. We are community people, and that's what really unites us. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. And I think we're going to see that you know, become more and more important as we move forward. 
Yeah. And, you know, Waybase just had a survey come out looking at the effect of COVID on churches, and that's kind of the occasion for our podcast. And one of the things that was in the data was that small churches seem to be doing better in terms of connecting with each other. And, you know, sociologically, you know, there's a, a way of looking at relationships where you talk about relationships that are strong or or and they talk about strong ties or bridging ties. And smaller churches tend to have a lot of strong ties. Everybody's very close. They'll talk about themselves as if they're a family. And large churches have a lot of these bridging ties where they know people and they can draw in resources into the community and, and stuff like that. But really what COVID sort of exposed was the flip side of the weaknesses of each, because when COVID hit, small churches needed the bridging ties to help them do things like to get online, to have those kind of connections. And the corresponding weakness in larger churches was that they just didn't have this kind of strong community ties that would draw them back together. And they each needed help with 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 the other. And to the extent that they're doing well, each of sort of adapted to their weaknesses. And I've said it before that COVID has allowed denominations to shine in that they are, were able to resource their small churches, for example, to get online. And that is sort of a bridging tie out to help them with what they needed. I'm, I'm not so sure how I would say that uh, denominations have really helped large churches in this time, but what large churches need are ways to help their people to connect and to form those strong ties. And that's going to be really critical for them. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think what strikes me is that Sunday morning is important. And what we do on Sunday morning matters and gathering as a worship worshiping community matters. And I think that's one of the things that I have learned during my stay in the COVID hospital is that Sunday morning matters. And I have heard, and I wondered if you guys could comment on this, what feels like a little bit of a critique of the church, like, oh, you know, the church just kind of went online really quickly, but I, in defense of the church, I think the church needed to do that. People felt very alone and frightened and couldn't meet in person. And so going online was what churches, I think, needed to do. I think it just points to the importance of people needing their community at this time. You know, in terms of how you've responded, Karen, I think I agree. I think, you know, going back to March 9, in that window, I put myself back in that mindset, you know, in a week, we thought we were going home for a couple of weeks. Right. And then we would be back. And you're kind of, people were abroad. Are they coming home? Are they not going to come home? How serious is this? And then, you know, it's like, you know, eight days later, it's like, oh, I don't know when we're coming back. And then another seven days. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, yeah. we just had this, we had this very, the, the fears, the empty shelves at the grocery stores, the empty roads, like just all of a sudden all the roads are empty and you're seeing scenes of cities all over the world that are empty, that you've never seen empty before. There's a tremendous amount of psychological fear during that time. And I think going online and creating some points of familiarity and to allow the voices that they're used to, the shepherding voices that they're used to speak to them and give them calm and pray together is instrumental. Like, I don't think we could minimize the value of that in that moment, because that, and again, that's why I would say we are, uh, we should be very grateful for the 
women, men, the leaders across our country that serve as shepherds uh, because they just do a tremendous uh, work, you know, to take care of us and to take care of community. And I, I think their instincts were generally right. Now, can we fall back to patterns where, you know, we just kind of lock onto this one solution and we're just kind of hanging on hibernating and not innovating or changing the way Rick is saying, I think you have to let go of that fear or that crisis response and start to say, okay, God, what do you want us to do now in this time? And how can we become better? You know, Holy Spirit, we are changing. We need to change. How do we need to change? And I do think that Rick, what you're talking about, that's going to be, I think what's going to unfold in the, in the months ahead is the reimagination of close bonded community, stronger ties. And, and in a sense, losing what we had is going to open us up to the deep need that we all feel and then do the work. You know, adults don't change when it's easy. You know, <laughs> we change when we're in pain. And I think what the church needs to realize right now, too, is it's not just church that's been disrupted. It's hockey leagues and all of these activities. And, you know, I have neighbors who tell me that their kids are not in sports for the first time. And there's a lot of uh, communities that are stopped everywhere. And, you know, that is hard all the way around. But it also is an opportunity for the church to step up and be community for those people. And it's not just uh, going online. You know, I've heard stories of a lot of churches that just activated the old phone lines. And people people were calling people. And that's kind of a low-tech way. But I think the importance is that the churches are finding ways to step into that isolation and make that connection, whether it's phone lines, whether it's Zoom calls, whatever the way and just to realize that it's not just that we as a church are missing our church connections people are missing all kinds of connections in society and are really really isolated in ways that they haven't been yeah yeah for sure can i can i affirm something what you just said there rick because i've heard the same thing and i want to encourage any um, pastoral or ministry leaders that are listening to this to seriously consider a team if you don't have it already a phone team that calls through and checks everybody and do household check-ins and people check-ins. And I'll tell you why I think phones, although they're low tech, they're very good at one thing. And that is reading how somebody's feeling by what the sound of their voice is like. One of the downsides of Zoom is you have a lot of distraction and people tend to put on a little bit more professional look or like, you know, it's like I'm on TV. (laughs) I have to see myself and everything. Right. And that's a bit distracting and stressful. When I'm on the phone, I know you can't see me and I can just tell you how I'm feeling. And sometimes my voice will crack because I'm feeling emotional or whatever. And that empathetic connection of the phone teams, if you can't be face to face, I think still has tremendous power for creating human connection. You know, it's kind of like the voice through the wall. (laughs) Are you over there? Are you okay? I think there's a tremendous opportunity for us to do human contact through this time through just like something as simple as a phone team, a pastoral care phone team that checks in. Are you okay? Are your neighbors okay? Are your extended family are okay? How can I pray with you? Is there anything that you need? Is your job okay? Nobody wants to cry on Zoom. No, no, because you're, you're being broadcast, right? Yeah. And, and you know, you, no matter how large a church gets, you know, even, even the largest churches uh, organize into small groups within the large church because you need to know that there are people that will miss you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and noticed. there was a, uh, I also do media relations for EFC and we, we got a call from uh, a, a journalist that uh, was writing a story. I won't say what, what uh, publication it was with, but her angle was that the church had just abandoned people because she felt abandoned because her church had not reached out to her at all since the start of the pandemic. And her conclusion was with this very small sample of her one church, that the church had disappeared and that it must be dying in the midst of the pandemic. And so it just sort of shows the, the impact that the absence of a connection can make, even in how people perceive the relationship and the general health of the church. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had someone say in, from the U.S. now, this isn't from Canada, but it could be true here in Canada, just as true. But they said they're part of a uh, you know medium to larger size church. They had gone online, done their services, but had not heard anything from the church during the entire time. Um, their jobs were at risk. They had elderly parents that were in a very bad situation and went months and months and months without any contact from anybody. And then the first time they contacted them was in, was a, I don't know if it was an email. I think it was an email to confirm whether they were going to donate again. Oh, dear. And they just immediately had like, I don't think I ever want to attend this church again. Right. And I think it's one of those things for leaders, again, listening to this, what we're encouraging. I think we're doing well. And I think a lot of churches are not falling into that trap. But it is good for us to be super mindful of how people feel. And to really connect, like you said, we're all in the hospital together. Things aren't working. Kids are at home depressed. There are a lot of kids that are struggling with depression because they're not in school. They don't see their friends. They don't have any of their sports leagues. They're tired of YouTube, you know. As we're talking, I think doing well is trying to figure out how do we find creative ways to make those connections in spite of all the limitations on making connections, right? I think that the churches that will be doing the best will be the ones that find ways to make do creative connections in spite of the limitations on that human connection. Uh, this past, well, we're recording this shortly after All Saints Day in our Anglican calendar. And we, um, my husband and I, who he is an Anglican minister, we went and did a drop off to all the um, families registered in our Sunday school uh, of a way they could, you know, talk about All Saints Day in their home. And I thought that it would take two hours. <laughs> and no, it took up almost eight hours uh, on a Saturday. But what I realized, you know, and we just sort of knocked on a door, then went and stood back eight feet, had a quick hello. But I really could see that the value of that connection, the, the people were so happy to see a person. I'm, it didn't have to be us, but just a person from their church, I thought. And anyway, it was just a wonderful, long, <laughs> but simple thing to do that I think really might have mattered to a few people. So yeah, just to know that you're remembered. I mean, we all want to be remembered and valued. And that's there are, there are simple ways to do that. Tim, I'm wondering with your research, were there any surprises for you? Now, there's a number of things that were not surprising in terms of the under 20% of churches had a way to communicate online their primary services, and now over 80% do. So that's a huge innovation. Probably would have never achieved that at any other time in history. So that's probably not surprising to us. Also that the, the finances are down, that people are being hit because our whole economy is being 
like is retracting. So that I think that wasn't surprising. I think what was surprising to me was how uniform the experience was across the country. And we analyzed this from every province, rural, small city, large city. And a number of these big impacts just hit everybody universally. And I kind of thought that there would be outposts that would be like, hey, this didn't touch us at all. You know, we're not being affected. We had almost no cases in our area or zero cases. Like this has left us out. We're fine. But actually the the economic impact particularly was a very blanketed wash right across the country. And that makes sense now that I think about it, but that was a surprise. Um, I also think in terms of I wouldn't say it's a surprise, but I didn't know what I would think until I saw the results. We asked an open-ended question of how you're adapting. And some of the things I you know, I kind of anticipated online would be the big thing for everybody, and it was. But after adapting to regulations, I think I was a little bit surprised at how much the evidence seemed to suggest that the churches were being not doing a lot more beyond just adapting and getting to the point of kind of survival mode. And I was hoping to see a little bit more on the community engagement. And they were, some were doing community engagement, but they tended to still be quite internal. And I'm hoping that, and I do believe, I I want to say on the positive side, that we are going to come to the place, because I think this is within the nature of the church, that they'll start to look out and see more opportunities to serve, that there'll be a broader response to engaging our communities. Yeah. So you're talking about serving the neighborhood or the, or the needs of the city. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. food security issues, uh-huh. you know, in terms of uh, food banks, um, shut-ins and um, that community connecting like vulnerable people that tend to be left alone and nobody knows that they're alone, that we could be out and be a bit more proactive on that side. Rick, what are you thinking? Were there surprises for you when you read through the Waybase uh, research, but even in, in your own research now in small churches and so on? Well, I, I don't know the surprises. I would just echo what, what Tim's saying that, you know, we, we do need to find creative ways to uh, to get out and engage the community. I've seen youth groups that do outdoor things where they can be socially distanced, like apple picking this fall. We've got a winter coming up where people are going to be forced indoors. And I think that we need to really creatively think about how are we going to have those socially distanced ways to connect with our neighbors and with, you know, with our own churches. And while we have these restrictions and and the heightened risk of contracting uh, COVID and, and flu and stuff in the wintertime, what can we do outdoors? How can we do that now? Do you have a local rink where you can have a day with hot chocolate and just have meat outside? You have to be in the warmer areas like Ottawa to do that. Can't do that down in Toronto. (laughs) But what is there? We have to be thinking about that. And uh, we have to be thinking that we can't go through to the spring having withdrawn from culture. Because there's this, this is really important thing to, to realize is that we are people of habits. And the sort of the greatest threat, I think, to the church is that people are going to be out of the habit of going to church. And it, and it is a habit. You know, we, we like to think that people are drawn there. But once they develop new habits, it will be hard to move them off. We could say we're church-going people, and it took a pandemic to sort of shake us off of going to church. Now, once people 
have new habits that are there for six months, a year, 18 months, it's going to take something as big as a pandemic to shake them off it if we want them to, if what our goal is, is getting them back to church. But how do we get them to engage with the church, with, with Christ, with the gospel? And we have to be thinking about new ways, because even in the midst of this, we're going to have to develop new habits, even if people are going to, to stay there, because, you know, there's all kinds of different thresholds for what it takes to develop a new habit. But, you know, a few months and the new habit is is sunk. It's, it's ingrained. And we really have to watch that. Tim, what do yeah, what do you think, Tim? Will people stop going to church? That's, uh, I think, the fear of a lot of churches, probably. Yeah, I to build on what you're saying, the thing about a habit is it feels normal. And when you do something that's not a habit, it feels abnormal. So it feels like I'm doing something wrong or uncomfortable. And that's what will happen is going to church will feel comfortable. And then when you go to come back, it won't feel normal. It won't feel comfortable. You'll have different feelings because it's not. You know, It's like, no, actually sitting in my pajamas at home with a nice coffee, watching something online for a little bit while I have my laptop open and I finish some emails for work, that feels normal, right? On a Sunday morning, going up, getting dressed up, getting out, spending time to go there, walk around, find my seat, draw my kids off, that will feel abnormal. So I I do think we need to be thoughtful about this. And I, and I don't think we have to necessarily just quickly look for a silver bullet solution because that never seems to work anyways. It's We need a little bit deeper reflection on this. And with Karen, what you said, our greatest fear. It's, it's an interesting thing to think about that most church boards or leadership teams or head offices have only measured the church by two primary things, bums in seats or, or on membership lists or both, and don- donations. And it's like, if we have the money and we have the bums in seats, we have the people on the list, we're, we're good, right? And this is now, that doesn't really, it's not really working. And I think there's a question too for us to do deeper reflection is what is the mission of the church in not just in the year after we can gather again, but for the next hundred years? And how do we need to be living in a new digitally connected, globally connected world? And where we have bigger issues that the pandemic is exposing. I don't think the pandemic is creating realities that weren't already present. They're heightening realities. And so a lot of the things that we're experiencing is is the future has come to us more quickly, maybe is the way to think of it. And so this is a great time to pause and think deeply about how the church lives in mission. Now, for all the pastors, like, does that mean, Tim, we're never going to get together again? I'm like, humans love getting together. Not all they want to live together. They don't want to live in communes, but they love getting together. So you don't need to worry about that. But why are they getting together again? What are you building community around? And then what Rick said earlier, I think is really important. How do you have both types of ties in this new world? Those deeper bonds of connection that really feel like family and those other bonds of connection that feel like extended family, that if my family can't do it, I know who else I can reach out to. And the small church had a lot of one and the big church had a lot of the other. But in this new world, we have to way to build both in. And then our gatherings will make sense because we're getting together with the people we love. And we're on a mission that kind of branches out and spreads out and makes sense. 
Yeah, I love that. And that's very encouraging. And I I don't want this to be the saddest podcast anyone has ever listened to. So I want you guys both to uh, end us off uh, with words of encouragement. And I know they're not they're not baseless. We have lots of we are a people who have the deepest reasons to be encouraged uh, at any time. So um, it's not to be blind to the challenges, but let's um, let's end with uh, some blue sky thinking for the months to come. Rick, do you want to go first in the final word? Well, when when Jesus was first calling his disciples, he was calling them in a context where there were lots of restrictions on what God's people could do. There were there were the Romans that uh, kept them down. They were they were actually disappointed with church life. <laughs> They were disappointed in their religious rulers, but um, but he was calling them to a, a, a fundamentally different place. So, you know, fish fishermen became fishers of men, um, and people were being healed. And then he just called them into a different kind of relationship, both with each other and, and the world. And and I think that to a certain extent the tide has gone out and we're sort of left seeing, you know, what, uh, what's, what's been submerged for all of this time. And it's an opportunity for us to, to think about what the church is and, you know, even to think about the language that we use, we go to church. Well, you're not just going somewhere. You're, you're, you're going there to worship God. You're going there to ask your brother or sister, is it well with your soul? You're going there to be encouraged to go out and serve your, your neighbors, to serve your community, to, to proclaim the gospel. And we do hide things around very simple language like go to church, but maybe it's time to do a whole lot more and to uh, have the realization that the reason that we gather is is very different than maybe what we've been doing. And, and I think that if we grab hold of this, that it can be a really great turning point for the church. Thank you. Tim? I think building on what Rick said, I won't repeat what he said, just affirm it. I'll throw an overarching encouragement and then some practical thoughts. Uh, for pastors, there's a number that have told me that they feel like resigning. They have this feeling of, I just need to resign. They're so tired. They feel so ill-equipped for this moment, particularly when there's other issues going on too, because when people get stressed, you know, they don't just say, I'm stressed. They get upset about things specifically. So pastors are also getting in, in different settings, a lot of pushback from people too, who are frustrated and are expressing that. So with that said, I want to say the pastors who might be listening or ministry leading leaders who in the last number of months have been thinking about, do I resign? Can I do this? Can I cope? I want to encourage you to, to for a couple of things. One is I want to affirm that God called you into this vocation because God saw your heart and God is able to equip you for the task that he's called you to do, even in this difficult time. And I want to encourage you that although you may not feel sufficient, God's grace is sufficient for you. And we need to pray together and support each other during this time because it is difficult, very, very difficult. And we shouldn't underestimate that. But I want to encourage you to say, I, I do believe God can equip you. You may need to, and I don't know how for pastors, I'm speaking specifically to them or ministry leaders, you may need to resign from the way your job used to be and open yourself up, and I don't know how you do that with your other leaders and board, to take on a new kind of version of your role. 
because the old way of operating may not have may not be adaptive to the new realities and so sometimes like we don't actually resign from our job we resign from the expectations or the role description that was and we have to renegotiate new terms of how we lead and that for me is whenever i've been in those places that has to do with god speaking to me and taking time to really open myself up to god kind of refocusing me and then working that out with my team and with the people i'm working with because that type of reworking, I think, is both collective in the church of how we do mission, but it comes down to individuals and leaders and key leaders in the organization that we're at a phase where God, I do think, needs to help us reimagine how we be the church and how we be his His people in the world. And that, you know, coming back then, I want to talk about some real practical things. We talk about the phone teams. What's in behind the phone teams is emotional intelligence. It's the ability to care for people and wanting to know how everybody's doing and making sure we're doing what we can to support each other. Uh, I think that's going to be extremely high priority in all levels, not just trying to replicate a program and count heads in the program, but actually know how people are doing and create connections with our youth, with our families. Another real practical thing I think is shifting from putting all of our eggs into the Sunday morning basket and really think about how we walk with people through the course of the week and explain, re, you know, respond to their real life problems and opportunities with practical uh, steps. And can I say this? In the past, the preaching, from my experience, has generally been, here's the high calling of Jesus. Come on, people, let's try harder. Okay? <laughs> but then you walk out the door, it's like, oh, gosh, I, I hope I do a little better this week. I have no idea what to do with that. You know what I mean? And I do think in this, when you get out into it. Nobody knows how to navigate this life. And what we need is kind of like spiritual shepherds that can coach us through the complexities of, of a lot of daily life issues. Like what do parents do with kids that are no longer in sports teams? What do I do with my neighbors, you know, that maybe have lost their jobs? I don't know. I can't even really approach them. Like you said, you knock on the door and you back away. What do we do? We need wise guides that break down the, the, the life that we're living right now to steps that are informed by the wisdom of Christ and kind of step us through this, just like a crisis, right? You need someone who's there stepping you through a crisis. And uh, we need more of that in our, in our view of teaching and leading community. And then I think one last thing is, um, and we're going to be working at this with Waybase, not just doing surveys. We are working at how do we build greater connections in cities, in communities, and building leader-to-leader connections. And EFC does that for a huge swath of the church. And I think we need to find during this time a way that the church works together, supports each other, pastors support pastors, you know, that we become more tightly webbed together, less siloed. And I would just say that too as a kind of like a hopeful vision. Imagine what it would be like two years from now if we could say because of the pandemic, the church in Canada became more unified than it ever was in its history, that we became more reconciled to each other, more united in mission. Imagine what it would say is if we became better equipped at helping people live in our new world in a way that was mission-driven every day of their lives, not event-driven once a week. And also, what if we came through this time realizing that things like sacrificial living, generosity, the Beatitudes, the way of responding to each other as peacemakers, as reconcilers in the world, became more embedded in the Church of Canada, that we became servants, not only of the gospel in our cities and our nation, but around the world. 
I think we, we honestly could be changed through this, but it won't be changed by fear. It won't be changed by depression. It won't be changed by blame. It would only be changed, I believe, as we unite together, humble ourselves and uh, open ourselves to the path that God has for us. Cause it's, it, uh, it's going to be us building those new habits, those new ways of thinking. Thank you. So that's my, that's my sermon. I love it. Take up the offering, (laughs) have the altar call. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Rick. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.